Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. This is episode five of The Milkman of St. Gaffs. This is a serialized podcast, so it's best if you start with episode one. Thank you very much for listening, and now on to the episode. It's time for The Milkman of St. Gaffs, starring Howie the Milkman. I woke up the next morning to the sound of banging on the wall. I heard the old crone muttering even before I'd opened my eyes. There was some hidden message in the banging, a message just for me. You might go mad too one day, young man, and then you'll see. Then you'll figure it out. You'll understand what I'm trying to tell you with my stick and my early morning mumbles. You'll know what it's like to have all the secrets and not have a soul to tell them to. It chilled me like the morning rain falling outside. It would be a cold walk to the station, and I was feeling very anxious. I spotted the bottle of podexium on the table and put a couple of drops into a glass of water, 
just like the doctor had told me to. I couldn't even taste the stuff. Out on the street, it was indeed cold. I had my slicker on, but the mist went right through to my bones. I had those stupid files under my arm and couldn't wait to finally be rid of them. I passed the baker on his rounds, dropping off bags of buns at cafes and stores. He tilted his hat at me, and I tilted mine back at him. A block or two further on, under the awning of Mr. McGowan's fish market, was old Inspector Piercy, the chief policeman of St. Gaff's. If I didn't know better, I would have said that he was lurking there and waiting for me. Hey there, Howie. Fancy meeting you here. I stopped and ducked under the awning. Hello, Inspector Piercy. You're out earlier than usual. He seemed to take this amiss and gave the ever-so-slightest hint of a sneer. But then he put his poker cop face back on. The police force never sleeps, Howie. It's always awake, and it's always watching. And he winked at me. Well, that's great to hear, sir, but I've got to get to work, you know. The milk never sleeps either. I started to walk off. Hold on there, Howie. Yes, sir? I'd like you to come down to the station with me. There's a certain matter we need some help with. I'd love to, sir, but maybe later. I really can't be late. Are you refusing to cooperate with the police, young man? No, sir, but I really can't be late. I'll talk to your boss, son. Don't give it a thought. He'll understand if you're with the police. I pondered this for a moment, turned on my heel, and walked off down the road. Piercy popped open his umbrella and followed me. You don't want to be doing this, son. You don't just walk off when the police are talking to you. I knew this was a risky move. I dealt with the police in Ming's bite and knew what kind of snares and nets they could trip you up in. But a sense of duty told me to walk on. I had a higher calling now. He kept walking right behind me. Son, you know I could arrest you for this right now, don't you? I bit my lip, said nothing, and kept walking. We've had reports about you, Howie. People have seen you. This was like a bolt of ice through my poor young heart. Seen me where? I wondered. I hardly knew where I'd been half the time, let alone who might be watching. We know your birthday is coming up, Howie. We know how much you enjoy a nice piece of cake on your birthday, lad. At this I turned and looked at him. His face was glowing weirdly yellow and he was grinning like a fiend. And then I realized... I'd been hearing something now. It was louder. Lots and lots of footsteps. Policemen started coming out of every doorway, every nook and cranny. They didn't have faces, but they were all swinging their clubs. I turned and ran, and I could hear Piercy behind me. Son, you're going to have to answer my questions one way or another. When I got to the station, I stopped and caught my breath. I looked up at old Billy on the wall and his steady gaze helped me to calm down. Down the road, Mr. Piercy was walking calmly in my direction, but there were no other policemen. And then I remembered, that must be it. The Podexium. It clearly did not sit well with my constitution. I was done with that stuff. I ducked in before Inspector Piercy could catch up. Inside, I almost bumped into Mr. Corwin. Howie, you're sweating. Is everything all right? Yes, sir. It's just that, well, 
The police are after me. What for? Oh, I didn't do anything wrong, sir. Not really, I don't think. But the inspector wants to question me about Billings. About Billings? He told you that? Well, no, but I just assumed... Just then, Inspector Piercy came in. I didn't think he'd follow me right into these hallowed halls. All right, Howie, enough's enough. Let's go. What's this about, Inspector? Police business, Mr. Corwin. We need to question the lad here. You can question him after his rounds. I'm afraid he'll have to come now. I said he will answer your questions after his rounds. Corwin locked eyes with the inspector, and Inspector Piercy wilted like an old piece of lettuce someone had left outside all night. I suppose there's really no hurry, and he pointed his finger at me. You be sure to come straight to the police station when you're done here, Howie. He tried his best to look authoritative as he walked out, empty-handed. As I said, Mr. Corwin, I didn't do anything wrong. I don't know what they want. You just answer their questions, Howie. Now get moving. As I made my deliveries, I kept thinking about how one day I'd be a man like Corwin and everyone would do what I said. I'd have an office with big double doors and important people would come from all over to talk to me. I was kind of not paying attention to what I was doing since I was so caught up in my visions of the future and I forgot to bring Mrs. Noseworthy the bottle of cream she ordered. She gave me her usual harumph, but this time I decided to stand up to her. Why are you always so annoyed with me, Mrs.? My son wears a real uniform. He volunteered for the war. Now please get my bottle of whipping cream and be off with you. I've got an important game of whist tonight and I still have to make the cake. I do not have time to chat with the milkman. I went back to the truck for the cream. I thought I'd liven up the old bat's card game by pouring the rest of the podexium into the bottle. Here you go, Mrs. My apologies for the delay. Enjoy your game of whist. Down the road, Mrs. Pyman drew the curtains closed as I walked up to her door. It was a grand old house, but no one had been tending the yard as of late. Weeds were growing up, and the whole place was looking disheveled. I dropped off the bottles. As I was walking back to the truck, she opened the window and shouted at me, Don't ever come back here, you louse! Mrs. Blackwall, the neighbor, was walking down the sidewalk just then and heard all this. Now what's eating her? I asked. It's not my fault her husband got caught in whatever subversive scheme he was up to. It's a hard thing, she responded, to fall so low on your station. The Pymans were one of the most important families on St. Gaff's. He was on a lot of municipal committees, you know, so this has all been a great embarrassment to her. I drove off wondering if Mrs. Pyman had been down to visit her husband on the pier. Next, I swung by my place to pick up the old radio. When I got to Mr. Greenwood's house, Stormy was nowhere to be seen. I put the milk in the little moving box as usual. I knocked, and Mr. Greenwood came out. Why, I see you brought the old radio. Any chance you could have a look today? Sure, Howie. Come around back. We sat down on a couple of chairs in his backyard. It was like something out of a kid's book. 
He'd painted all the fences with bright colors and scenes with fairies and unicorns and castles on hills. He must have done it for Stormy when she was younger since some of the paint was fading and peeling. And then of course there were bits of machines everywhere. What really stood out was an almost life-size ballerina on a mechanical pedestal. I guess he hadn't finished it, or maybe it had worked but Stormy got bored with it. You could see the gears and little wheels in an open part of the pedestal, and the ballerina was starting to rust. Mr. Greenwood brought out some tea and biscuits, and I gladly helped myself. He looked over the radio. Is Stormy around? I'm afraid she's indisposed at the moment, Howie. Then he looked right at me. It's, it's never easy with the women, Howie. I wish I had some advice to give you, but I've never been very adept myself. I didn't know what to say to that. He got a screwdriver and commenced to taking the frame off the radio. This is an older model, military in fact, pretty scarce these days. With metal being so dear, they can't afford to make them except for the army. That's why, Howie, it seems odd to me that they'd use so much metal to build a machine that makes milk safer. I mean, this whole war is about a lack of metal since most of the mountain mines on the continent are used up. They've already cut away most of our iron fences for the war, and that thermalizer must have a ton of metal. Why? I mean, we've never had a problem with the milk here. I was profoundly offended at the implications of what he was saying, but it was my duty to cozy up to the man. Maybe you're right, Mr. Greenwood. You see that, right, Howie? Right? It just doesn't make sense to me. Something very strange is happening at that milk station. And Mr. Pyman, not at all my favorite person, but I can't see why he'd break into the station. I've known the man all my life. He's, he's no subversive. He wouldn't break the law to save his own mother. What would he want in there? It is hard to understand why he'd steal a bunch of personnel files. Who knows what he wanted with them? So that's what he's supposed to have taken, and why on earth would the enemy want personnel files of a bunch of milkmen on this island? I felt my face go red since I wasn't supposed to tell him about the files. I think he also stole some blueprints. Maybe that was the thing of real value. He looked at me again and said in a pretty confidential way, You know how he... A couple of times, late at night, I've gone down to the pier with some food for Mr. Pyman. I thought no one would be around, and that it was inhumane to treat a man like that. The first time, I got his gag out and fed him a bit, but he was delirious and spouting all manner of nonsense. The second time I went down... I just felt like someone was watching, and so I made out like I was just going for a walk. And a little down the pier, sort of in the shadows, I saw that big milkman, gopher, ferret, or whatever his name is. He was just standing there, staring at me with his mouth open. He surely gave me the willies. In, in fact, Howie, I meant to speak to Inspector Piercy about Mr. Pyman, and my suspicions about the milk receiving station. I put on my quick thinking cap and circled through the possibilities. If Mr. Greenwood makes himself into a troublemaker by going to the police and complaining to everyone about Corwin and the thermalizer, he'll get himself into a lot of trouble. And then I won't be the one getting him into trouble by finding evidence against him. It will be as if I failed at my mission. 
But on the other hand, Mr. Greenwood is a nice man, and I wasn't sure he deserved all the trouble that was lining up against him. Oh, I wouldn't do that, Mr. Greenwood. I wouldn't go to the police. And why not? There's something I have to tell you about Inspector Piercy. And what is it, Howie? I opened my mouth, not quite knowing what I was about to say. Well, what if it isn't the milkmen you have to worry about, but the police? They're the ones who took Mr. Pyman away, after all. Maybe you should wait and make more observations. Hmm, perhaps you're right about that, Howie. Perhaps you're right. He looked a little bewildered by all of this. Do you have any more of those biscuits, Mr. Greenwood? They're delicious. I, I'm not sure, Howie. I'll, I'll go have a look. Then he held up a shiny tube that he'd pulled out of the radio. It was all black and sooty. The valves are blown on this. Not much chance of finding new ones anytime soon. That was really a shame. I thought for sure he'd be able to fix it. That's too bad. I'd hoped I'd be able to listen to my program with it. Well, anyways, thanks for having a look. I guess I'd better be going. I picked up the radio and left him there in the backyard. I was quite annoyed that I wouldn't have a radio. And the thing was heavy too, so I just sort of shoved it under a bench. Mr. Greenwood wouldn't notice, probably, amidst all the clutter in his yard. And then I stopped. I'd forgotten that he was going to see if there were more biscuits in the house. I turned to go back and saw someone duck away from the upstairs window. It must have been stormy. Damn it, I thought. I'd better just get out of here. And then I remembered that I was supposed to talk to Piercy right now. So I hopped into my truck and headed for the police station. It wasn't my normal route and I was driving in an irritated sort of way and I heard someone shouting, Hey, stop! I looked in the mirror and saw it was Dr. Barrett. I forgot to avoid driving down his street. I pulled over and stopped and he ran up to the driver's side. Howie, I thought I told you I didn't want to see you driving a milk truck anymore. I'm sorry, doctor. I've been taking a different route so you wouldn't see me. I just forgot today is all. N no, Howie, I don't want you driving at all. Especially not if you're taking Podexium. I grinned, thinking about dumping the bottle into Mrs. Noseworthy's cream. Not to worry, doctor. I threw it all out. It didn't agree with me, to tell you the truth. Ah, uh, there have been instances of Podexium having a paradoxical reaction. I'll say, doctor, it was horrible. But you're not supposed to just throw it out. You should have brought it to me for safe disposal. If someone without your condition takes that, it could be major trouble. I felt a twinge of embarrassment, but what's done is done. I just poured it down the drain, doctor, and I haven't had any more spells, honest. Howie, I told you that no one with Extusius should be driving. I want you to park this truck and I'm going to speak to your manager about this. That made me pretty nervous. And then an idea struck him. Howie, how would you like to take part in an experiment? No medicine, just talking, trying to get to the bottom of your troubles using some new methods they've been developing on the mainland. Sure, doctor, I'd love to come by for a chat, but I really have got to be going, duty calls and all that. So off I went to the police station. 
The police office was a very official-looking place, almost as official-looking as the receiving station. It was a big squat building right downtown. When I went in, the place was deserted. There was a blonde woman in uniform behind the desk. She looked bored to death, loading and unloading a gun. What can I do for you, love? I'm here to see Inspector Piercy. He had some questions for me. Everyone's gone off to Mrs. Hurtle's house, including Inspector Piercy. What for? I don't know, really. Will you tell him I was here? Howie Coxwell. I can come back tomorrow if that would be best. Yeah, sure. But she wasn't writing anything down. So you'll tell him? Howie Coxwell. Okay, love. But she just kept staring at the gun. So I left. I didn't want to get into trouble for not showing up. So I decided to see what was happening down at Mrs. Hurdle's house. As I got closer, I heard gunfire and Mr. Piercy shouting, Ready? Fire! Up there! Again! Fire! And then there were all these police officers with their rifles and pistols shooting all over the place, up into the trees, into the air. And there were all those birds again flapping around. Some were even smashing themselves against Mrs. Hurdle's windows. Inspector Piercy's face was all red and mad. There was a little explosion of feathers in the tree as one bullet hit the bird. I got one, a fat cop shouted. No, you didn't, a tall one said. And it's true, the bird just flew off. I tapped Inspector Piercy. You, I don't have time for you right now. What's going on? These birds chased one of Mrs. Hurdle's cats into her house, and now she's trapped in there. Those birds are going to break through a window if they keep it up. I'll just head home then, if it's all right with you. Uh, yes, just come in tomorrow. We've had complaints about these things all week, and we're going to finish this here and now. Fire! So I left them to their futile task. I found myself wandering down by the seaside. It was early evening now. There was a warm breeze coming across town, and it carried with it the sound of rifles. I knew I should have been nervous with the police on my tail and my career perhaps about to be ended, but somehow I wasn't. It was the time of day when everything seems to slow down, and somehow the sound of the police trying to shoot down those birds soothed my heavy heart. At least I knew the birds were real and that the authorities were going to deal with them. Perhaps everything was going to be okay after all. My eyes started twitching, but I ignored it. I picked up a stone and tossed it into the sea. I watched it sink down, down, down until it disappeared. And then I disappeared too. I opened my eyes and the world was blood red. And I was pushed by a wave and felt the sand beneath me. I struggled out of the sea, dripping with water so red it was almost black. The sky was iron gray with a pinprick of a gray sun on the horizon. I walked along the beach, and the beach stretched on forever, until I saw a brown, low-rise building with the familiar old brownish-red bricks. I knew where to go. I opened the door to the basement and walked in. I could hear him whittling away with a knife down there, and there he was on a chair with his brown uniform, his back to me. And he turned and smiled, and he showed it to me, a little wooden car. 
I made it for you, he said. He stood up and was so much taller than me, and we walked out the front of the building, and there was the apple tree. It's coming along nicely, he said. It was the tree I'd planted last spring when I was five. And there we were, walking along through a golden field of apples, and it was warm, and there were angels in every tree watching us and smiling, my little hand in his big hand, and for the only time in my life I felt safe. It was quiet, and we walked on, and I told him about my days, about what my friends in school had been up to, and how one day I would drive a big truck, and he told me I could do it, and he hoped I'd give him a ride some day, and he'd tell everyone I was his boy. And I told him about old Mrs. Noseworthy, until I noticed his hand was cold, and then it was gone, and I was alone. And the trees turned black and laughed at me. I ran, and the trees reached out, and I was climbing the biggest tree in the forest, and it was freezing like frozen metal on my hands. And I bumped into something, a crust, asphalt. I pushed it away and pulled myself out of the hole in the parking lot of the milk receiving station. I was soaked in sweat, and it was quiet. My uniform was filthy with dirt, but I thought I'd still have time to clean it up before tomorrow. I cursed these stupid episodes and the stupid doctor who couldn't help me, and I started walking home, the uniform sticking to me in the most annoying way. A block away there was laughing again, but it sounded so familiar. This wasn't part of an episode, it was real. The cackling got louder, several people, and there was Mrs. Noseworthy in her underwear with another old woman and two old men in their britches. Noseworthy had a broom and now she was shouting, I want the last piece of cake, where is it? And then they spotted me. He's got it! And they charged at me. I ran off. It didn't take much to lose them since they were so old and flabby. And I just snuck down to the pier, close to where Mr. Pyman was roped up. But I didn't hear any noise, until I heard some footsteps. It was two policemen, the tall one and the fat one. I ducked down behind some barrels and watched between them. The police came up to Mr. Pyman, who was slumped against the pole. The tall copper poked him and he didn't move. Then he gave him a good shove. Nothing. The fat one bent down for a better look. He's dead. Come off it, he's just asleep. The tall cop kicked Mr. Pyman and his head fell back in a horrible, rubbery way. It was not looking very good for Mr. Pyman. Oh, good lord, what's next? Do you think we'd better report it to Mother? It's not our bloody fault. A ship was supposed to come for him. Should we just leave him? Someone will find him in the morning. The fat one put his finger in his mouth and thought a bit. It won't look very good if the police was supposed to make sure he got off to the room safe and sound, and instead he died right here on the pier. We have a duty to the townspeople to carry out the law, and if they find him here, they'll think we're no good at our jobs. So what do you suggest we do? Then they whispered and I couldn't hear. The fat one untied him. The tall one started dragging a big piece of concrete he'd wrestled loose from the pier's masonry. They tied the thing to Mr. Pyman's legs, and with a lot of huffing and puffing and grunting, they pushed the concrete over the edge. Down it went, pulling Mr. Pyman with it. 
They just dumped Mr. Pyman right in the harbor. I had just witnessed a crime, I thought, by the police. The sneaky bastards. But now I had something on them. I barely noticed the wings flapping behind me. I sneezed and the coppers bolted upright. They walked over and I didn't have time to get away and nowhere to run. Thank you again for listening. Episode 6, The Church, will be available in two weeks. If you'd like to find out more about the show and how you might be able to support it, please go to HowieMilkman.com. Until next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.